The Lonely Hour is back with another diary entry from this coronavirus shelter-in-place era. I'm not going to spend any time setting up this one. Let's just get right into it. My name is John Bainbridge. And if that name seems oddly familiar to you, it's not a coincidence. Julia Bainbridge, the podcaster, is my daughter. I'm 73 years old, I've practiced law and been a journalist, and right now I am writing a book for St. Martin's Press about 19th century firearms titans in the United States. The book is about men who were part of the Industrial Revolution and helped contribute to the innovation of this country's industry. Familiar names like Colt, Winchester, Smith, Wesson, and Remington. John, dad, lives alone in the countryside north of Baltimore, Maryland, and he started recording a few days after the arrival of spring. There is a feeling of winter rot in some of the underbrush, but spring is emerging, and today, for the very first time this year, the worms have come out and are crawling across my driveway. In five minutes, all non-essential businesses in the state of Maryland will close pursuant to the governor's order today. More and more people are isolated, as I'm sure you are, as I'm sure my daughter is in New York City. But out here, the isolation doesn't change much. I spend the days pretty much alone. I do take little trips up to the post office, which is about five minutes away, a one-room post office with a very nice postmistress named Tanika. Any mail for me today? Yep. As you can see, I'm at the post office. There's a package she's going back to get. I don't know what it is. Uh-oh, two packages. Three packages. Oh, this is very exciting. It's no surprise to me to hear Tanika giggling. Dad's charming, and he's always had a way with women in particular. <laughs> right next door to the post office is a restaurant called The Peppered Pig, where he likes to grab a coffee and a couple of chocolate chip cookies baked by the owner, Darlene. Then it's back to his desk to write. Before me are piles of paper. It's so quiet in here, with the exception of the fire, that it stands in stark contrast to the activity that these papers represent. People churning out industry, communicating with each other from industrial New England. It's kind of daunting to think of myself writing about these characters in their time when I'm so far removed from them. Anyway, that's what I'm up to now. And I've just about finished the chocolate chip cookies I got at the post office, and they have done what they are expected to do which is give me a little burst of energy and the serenity of chocolate and a little bang from the coffee. Dad's not totally alone out there in the countryside. Bella, a sweet, beautiful mutt rescued by one of my three brothers, Garrett, is with Dad right now. Garrett and his family moved to Brooklyn just this year so that his son Kaito, whose mother Maki is from Tokyo, can go to a Japanese school. Bella and Dad are good friends and stay close to one another, but she does like to get lost out in the woods sometimes. It's been about 10 minutes, and she's not responding to my calls to come back in, so time to go out to the car and start it up and see if I can call her back in that way. 
Okay. Uh, no Bella yet. And here's the usual routine. Three honks. And we'll see if she comes back. There she is. Okay, no worries. Time to go back in. Now I think she'll settle in for the evening. Been thinking about the years in the past when this place was full of children. Of course, now they're all on their own and away, many with families of their own. And I think about them in pandemic time, wondering how they're doing, so I check by text and email, sometimes by phone, hoping they're well. For the most part, they are. Thoughts of them make this house seem even more quiet. I think it was two weeks into all of this mess. I honestly can't remember exactly. The days are blurring together. Garrett, Maki, and their almost four-year-old son fled New York to ride this out at Dad's house. Even though they were able to get COVID tests, which came out negative, they're staying apart for two weeks just to be safe. Garrett, Maki, and Kai are living in the house, and Dad is in a separate building, a barn that he converted into an office, a kind of living room, and a bathroom with a shower in it, too. How odd it feels, Dad said, for them to be with him, but not really with him. No sign of the family. They're all inside the main house because the car is outside. It seems very strange still that we're all together here and yet there's no sign of them. And we're keeping a great deal of distance as we're supposed to in these difficult times. I am glad they're here though for it gives my little grandson a chance to run around and be outside instead of cooped in his family's apartment in Brooklyn. They're continuing to be safe in isolation here, having food delivered, and their outside activities are all away from everybody else. So they brought no bugs with them from New York, thankfully. In another 10 days or so, their quarantine period will be over, and I'll again return to the house, and they'll be able to move around with greater freedom than they have. I expect them to be here until this pandemic subsides. You understand it's just three more days because of coronavirus, then we can hug pots, okay? One, two, three. Three days. It'll be Tuesday. Are you having fun here, Kaito? Yeah. Good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was a brief hello from a distance before Dad, who Kaito calls pots, went out for a solo hike. Then, as usual, back to his desk. 
It's now late in the afternoon, the sun is out, and so is the family. I can see them through the glass of my office door, and I'm not going to go out because that would just invite the little three-and-a-half-year-old to come on over and play, which I can't let him do. He's having a lot of fun, though, running around squirting a huge toy from the pool, a squirt gun. Oh, I really wish I could go out and play with him, but we mustn't do so. Strange situation. Nani? Look at my chances. Pretty good. Mm. Guess what? We can do that with pots tomorrow, too. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. It's been two weeks. So tomorrow we can give pots hugs. Now the coronavirus is out? Yeah, we don't have to worry about it with pots anymore. Off he goes. Off he goes. Hi. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. Good. So we survived the corona. <laughs> you saw our <laughs> the, um, At least the containment part. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I think Kai's doing a happy run. Where is he? Where'd he go? Kaito. Kaito, pots and mota hugger step. Mota, mota, mota. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's coming to get you. He's <laughs> coming to get you. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. The next day, I called Dad to check in. He reported that everything was just fine. Yeah, how are you doing? That's a big question. Are you able to get out and about at all and breathe some fresh air? A little bit, yeah. I'm fine, Dad. Don't worry. Did you go to the post office today? I went to the post office today, yes. They have sheets up to protect people from going and breathing on the postmistress and protect her from breathing on others and little tape around saying, please step behind this line. Did you see Tanika? I did not. She had a substitute there. Tanika was not there, but it was a substitute there who occasionally fills in for Tanika. But extremely friendly and with an incredible memory. The first time I went in there when she was there, I'd introduced myself and showed my ID and picked up the mail. That's fine. And the next time I went in there, I figured, well, she's not going to remember who I am. I just walk into the post office. But she did. She said, oh, yeah, Mr. Bainbridge, here, let me get your stuff. I was very impressed. Well, it could have to do with her memory, or it could have to do with the fact that women seem to like you, Dad. I mentioned that you're charming in this episode. Does that embarrass you? No, it doesn't. I question its veracity. <laughs> well, does it feel good to have Garrett and company around? Or are you kind of itching to regain some solitude? I'm happy that they're here. And at this point, 
If ever I get a little frustrated with things, because, you know, you get old, you want your house the way it is and not to make too many changes. But then I realize some of the changes they make are good ones that I'm happy with. And in the end, it is such a wonderful sense of three generations all together, living, complimenting each other, not really getting on each other's nerves. It's very, how lucky it is. I mean, suddenly they're gone and I'll realize my little grandson's not here. I'm not gonna see him in the morning smiling. I'm not gonna hear him bang on the door to say, can I come in? That's really special to have him here. It's unfortunate that their long stay is a result of an illness that is abroad in the land, but having them here not as weekend guests or here for a week to enjoy the sunshine and then go home, to actually live here is a blessing for me. Dad, do you remember the relaxation story? Yes, I do. I do remember that. A psychologist I know had mentioned it to me as a kind of a meditation. And so I found that to be a very useful thing. And then I thought, gosh, if I can find this useful, maybe it'll be good for the kids when they go to sleep at night. And so that's how it started. Later that evening, when he was back by the fire in his office, I asked Dad to remind me how the relaxation story went. When it was time for all the tensions to be smoothed out and sleep, the kids would get tucked up in bed and all snuggled in. Julia would have what we called a night-night, a little blanket with fringes on it in which she'd move between her fingers and sort of stroke it, that sort of work it. Clayton had a little yellow blanket that he would do the same with. And the relaxation story, I guess, was a form of mild hypnosis. It relaxed them and it helped put them to sleep. It was a very gentle, very quiet, very easy time. They would be all tucked up, the blankets pulled up, the night-nights in the hand and heads on the pillows and eyes closed. And I would start to tell them to relax. And I would tell them that all the problems of the world would disappear and that their legs and arms and head would be very heavy in the bed, so heavy that they couldn't lift them. The story involved a cool fluid that, with Dad's guidance, we would imagine being poured from our heads through our necks and shoulders, smoothing out our muscles. It would continue to flow through our arms and out of our fingertips, then down through the chest and the waist and out through the legs. Then he'd ask us to breathe in cool air, filling our chests with it, and to let go of the hot air from the day. In with the calm, out with the tensions. Finally, he would tell us to picture steps. We'd descend into what he called the land of relaxation. Dad would count us down, and with each step we'd be more relaxed. By level two, we were forgetting about what happened at school that day. Three, four, all cares are gone. Five, six, we're there. Relaxation complete. And I would get up from the bed and say nothing more. And the little kids would be sound asleep, or at least almost there, but in any event, still and quiet and at peace. And I'd leave and close the door. And then they'd be ready for the next day. And perhaps the relaxation story the next evening. I wondered if the relaxation story worked every time, and he said that yes, he thinks it did. He remembers us looking forward to it, perhaps because, unlike many other bedtime stories, we were participants. 
It wasn't like a lecture of telling you a story. It was something where you were part of. In fact, you were the sole focus of. Walking down the stairs and the deep breathing, it was you doing it. It wasn't some character in a story. Now I'm going to try it, or a version of it. Tara Brock is a proponent of Buddhist meditation, and this is her guided meditation for sleep. I'll be Tara, but channeling Dad. And you all, just listen and relax. Become aware of your body breathing and begin to extend the in-breath, lengthening and deepening so that you're filling the whole chest and the lungs. So, breathing in, deep in-breath, and a slow out-breath, slowly releasing, letting go. Again, a deep, full in-breath, expanding the chest, filling the lungs, and a slow out-breath, evenly, smoothly releasing, so you can feel the sensations of your breath as you exhale. Long, deep, full in-breath. You might begin counting with the in-breaths to four or six and matching the out-breath with four or six counts. Sense with the in-breath an opening up to receive, and with the out-breath, the releasing, letting go. Continue with this long, deep in-breath, slow out-breath. Long, deep in-breath, slow out-breath. If the mind wanders, you notice you've lost track of the breathing. Just gently come back again. Begin again. You might sense with the in-breath how much it's possible to soften and open and receive. And with the out-breath, how much it's possible to release as if you're following the breath out into the space around you. Continue with this full in-breath and full out-breath. You might sense that you can bring the breath and the attention to the small muscles in the face, softening, relaxing, letting the tongue fill the lower palate, relaxing at the root of the tongue. You're continuing with the breathing and sensing the possibility of relaxing more at the shoulders with the in-breath, opening, receiving, filling the space inside the shoulders, with the out-breath, letting go, letting go. Bring the breath and the attention to the hands, letting the hands be soft, relaxing. Feeling the breath and the awareness at the heart, so that as you breathe in, you open to receive, feeling the aliveness that's there. And with the out-breath, the letting go, Releasing, relaxing. Feeling the breath deep in the torso, let it fill the belly with the in-breath. And with the out-breath, let go. Let go. Letting go. Widening 
to sense the whole body breathing. So with the in-breath, you're filling every cell of the body, opening, receiving. And with the out-breath, releasing, letting go. Letting go. Now, let go of any control of the breath, allowing the breath to resume in its natural rhythm. There's a relaxed attentiveness. You're aware of the gentle movement of the breath, the sensations in the body, the sounds around you. Relaxing back and just resting in this wakeful openness. Letting life be just as it is, moment to moment to moment. If the mind gets lost in distracting thoughts, let your practice simply be to re-relax. Re-relax. Gently scan the body, perhaps re-relaxing the shoulders a bit, softening your hands, relaxing your heart. Just relax back, resting in the awareness that's right here. Letting life be just as it is. You might ask yourself if it's possible to relax and let go just a little bit more. Gently scanning to notice the habitual places of contraction and tightness. And with kindness and gentleness, just soften a little bit. This episode was produced by me, Julia Bainbridge, and mixed and sound designed by Keith J. Nelson. Peyton Turner is our illustrator, and the theme song is by Chris McLeod. Chris, we miss you. Special thanks to the one and only John Bainbridge for participating in this episode, and Garrett and Maki and Kaito, thank you for recording that extra tape. I love you all, and New York misses you. To everyone, until next time, be well. Be well.